Hi, welcome to or welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen. Thanks for joining me um, for this episode, which is a three-way conversation between myself, uh, Luke Tybersky, who's um, an Australian who's in Belfast for the evening for, uh, I guess, a premiere of his documentary on the Ultimate Triathlon, a 2,000 miles, 2,000 kilometres swim, cycle and run over 12 days. Um, along with Luke is Connor Devine. Connor is a client, a friend, um, an endurance athlete, um, a survivor of MS, and um, these guys have known each other for a few years. Uh, Connor has brought Luke and this wonderful documentary to Belfast tonight, uh, 27th of September. If you don't get a chance to come along tonight um, or haven't seen it tonight, um, go to Luke tybersky.com t-y-b-u-r-s-k-i.com and download it it's an amazing story of one man's journey from the pits of depression to an incredible 25 kilometer swim right through the busiest shipping lane in the world one of the busiest the Straits of Gibraltar um, a run a cycle sorry um, and then uh, which is the equivalent of cycling from Malinhead to Mizzenhead and back again and a run which is I think something like something stupid like 12 marathons over six days so I really hope you enjoy this I'm, I'm delighted that Luke has um, taken time for this hour-long episode um, I would be in good company he's already been on the Rich Roll and the uh, Michael Gervais podcast so I feel very honoured to have him in the same space as me so I hope you enjoy it um, and uh, with that straight into the show okay so um, I'm delighted to be uh, welcoming today um, Luke Tabersky and Connor Devine um, Luke Australia Connor Cookstown yeah okay so Luke I'm more interested in your story for a minute because I know where he lives all right so um, you were 13 years out of Australia living in, in London whereabouts in Australia originally from well, I've not lived in London for 13 years. I've lived outside of Oz for 13 okay. years. And I lived in America for about four years, Belgium, 12 months. And then sort of the rest of the time has been in the UK and London. Um, but I grew up in a little country town called Bathurst, just about three and a half hours northwest of uh, Sydney over the Blue Mountains. And I moved to Sydney when I was 16. So I left the family home, still very young, but that was for football. And uh, at 21 is when I left Australia. Okay, and so soccer, you played soccer. Okay, Connor, you're, you have a background in sport as well, at a fairly high level. Yeah, well, probably played sport right up until my MS diagnosis at 28 years of age. So I would have been, my aspiration was to play centre midfield for Manchester United. Sort of one of my idols was Paul Scholes and Roy Keane and people like that. So um, didn't quite get that far, uh, but I had some trials in England with Coventry City and I suppose my whole youth was... Uh, evolved around training and playing football and being a professional footballer and um, probably I played semi-professional in Northern Ireland in the Irish League here up until 28 years of age so okay, um, which is probably the next best thing out of getting that big move to England which I think Luke did get What what level did you play at in Australia? I played in the, the top level in Australia back when I was out there 13 years ago it was a competition called the National Soccer League and the reason I left Australia was because it was sort of 
wilting down into semi-professional and there was there wasn't the strong foundations. So what they did, they said, right, we're going to scrap the top league uh, for about two and a half years and we're going to get some investors and we're going to create a small eight-league competition, which is now called the A-League, which has been flourishing and there's a lot more teams out there. But I went two and a half years without a top competition. I was playing in the top competition in the youth team and, and training with the first team at uh, you know, 19, 20 years of age. And I thought, I'm at this stage of my career that if I want to progress, playing in like the state competition, like dropping down a level for two and a half years is not going to help me. So then I looked sort of elsewhere and ended up going to America. Okay. Um, so you're in Belfast. You're on a bit of a sort of a whistle-stop tour to promote um, your documentary on the ultimate triathlon. Before we get into that, um, I'm very interested in how you guys meet because when we move closer into the story, we can see that you've got so much in common, but you come from entirely different countries and you're entirely different backgrounds. Yeah, well, I think I think that might have been me that initiated the 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 uh, the coming together. Basically, what happened was I was struggling with EMS between two thousand and six and two thousand and eleven, and I was looking I was looking to find people who. Um, I felt could maybe help me in, in my recovery journey. And I think it was around about 2011, I might have seen some of Luke's stuff online where he was helping this chap um, with a, who had MS. I think he was training them at the time. And I think I probably reached out to Luke maybe via an email or something like that. And then we started sort of talking and, and sort of exchanging information and talking to each other. And then about 18 months ago, um, we agreed to meet up in London and, and have a chat. and. Um, it was a very easy meeting, and you know we're we're not great friends. It's something that we met in two thousand eleven. We met in two thousand and fourteen or whatever. There's, it was very. It's always very easy to be in this guy's company. He's he's very very calm. He's the sort of person that, that I want to be around. And at that time in my life, you know, I needed people who to inspire, push, educate, encourage me to continue on with my own recovery and MS. And you know, look. From afar, although we weren't in touch all the time, I was keeping an eye on what he was doing, um, his goals and all the stuff he was up to in particular in recent times around his food and that stuff that I was very, very inspired and helped me a lot in my own recovery. Okay, so just for to, to try and join the dots here, right, um, I do a wee bit of work with this guy here, with Connor. Um, I've known Connor for maybe a year or so, maybe a bit longer, and we've worked together on a few projects and he had mentioned to me some time ago that he mentioned your name, Luke Tabersky. He mentioned the fact that you had been on other podcasts talking about your story, which is quite a remarkable story, and I'm really keen to hear about that, Luke. And also this Ultimate Triathlon documentary that was coming out. So I did a bit of research into it beforehand, and sort of my expectation, and I just said before we went on air, that my expectation was that it was kind of a, a gung-ho Aussie approach to life, just kick the fucker down and drive on over the top of it. And I th- say that with reverence, okay, because I think that that's maybe the worldview of the Aussies and some of the Antipodeans and well, maybe some the of the other others. nice love you, the Aussies of you know, you know, very you know, interesting time. Win all, all, all the medals at the Olympics yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Right? Yeah. And um so so I was looking through your your narrative online is is very diverse, it's very honest and very deep. And one of the things that I was struck by immediately was this this uh the, the roadblock that you came to in your life when you found that you were getting a lot of injuries playing soccer and this depression and that was really the root cause of the start of this journey for you then was it yeah quite literally i i suffered from 
well, I, I suffer from depression and, and I was having some really bad uh, times, but I didn't realise what it was. And I was getting all these injuries from football and then quite literally one day, like after a three-year period where I battled so many injuries, nothing really related, friends, family, you know, girlfriend at the time were all saying, maybe your body's telling you something. You can, And I just thought these... Um, these bouts of feeling, feeling down and feeling like, you know, I'm struggling to get out the door or get out of bed at times and I'm not going to lie. I thought about, is, is it all worth it? You know, um, I just thought it was because I was injured. You know, I've been a professional athlete my entire life with a, with a very, very uh, um, straightforward professional way of thinking. If you want to get from A to B, you have to do everything in between it has to be done, and you can't waver. I'm very professional in my thinking when it comes to that. And uh, I just thought I was a bit down, a bit flat because I've injured. And then when I retired, uh, hung the boots up and I sort of was trying to find my way, I, it, it occurred to me, I says, well, there's got to be more to this. And I, I reached out and saw a therapist and uh, told no one. Uh, and uh, she said, why are you here? And I said, I'm, I'm having all these weird feelings. I'm not really understanding it. I feel low. I have no energy. You know, I feel like I'm putting on a brave face when I leave the front door. If I can get out the front door, because at times I couldn't. I was just like laying in bed going, right, Luke, get out the door, go three, two, one, and I wouldn't move. So I'm, having, I'm, I'm talking to this therapist about all these emotions and feelings and, and uh, occurrences that were happening. And she said, have you ever thought that you've got depression? And I'm like, um, I've never thought of that. And that, just before she actually said it, the penny dropped and I was like, wow. Not that I needed a label and not that I wanted one, but it, it put everything that I was going through into context. And she's like, yeah, you have clinical depression. And we, we spoke over the, the next few weeks and months about things. And it made me realize that I, you know, I don't need to label it, but it, it makes me understand what I was going through. And uh, you know, I suffered in silence for the next and realizing what I was what I was going through for at least another three, two and a half, three years before I even mentioned it to a soul. Wow. Apart from I saw this therapist for several months and then said I need to go away and process this. But it was still about two and a half years where I didn't tell a soul that what I was going through. I was normal, happy, go lucky, energetic Luke. And then when I was going through a depressive bout, I was just enclosed and really you know suffering quite badly and just trying to pull myself through it do you think that the that reaction is a product of the environment in australia or similar to here where it's something depression was something that was never really talked about all that much it's kind of an uncool illness to have even if you consider it an illness some people think it's not an illness it's just you're not well in inverted commas Mm -hmm. was that a difficulty for you i think it was initially i didn't understand it and I didn't understand why I could have this or suffering from this because, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a likeable guy. I like, I like to think and I'm very sort of open and out there on, on the table, on the surface. And um, I didn't understand it. But then I was definitely, I wasn't, I say I wasn't ready and I, because I didn't feel strong enough. And maybe that was because, yeah, there is a lot of stigma out there. People say, well, is there really? For a guy who's 33 right now, and in this world, um, I think there is. 
there's a lot of people breaking down barriers to say there doesn't need to be stigmas mm. and also the education. You know, I, I've been said numerous times to my face by friends and family, you're the most least depressing guy, depressive guy that I know. I don't understand how you can have this. It's like, I don't understand either. It just, it just, it is what it is. And I'm learning along this journey of how to manage it and be able to move forward. And now with my profile growing with everything that I'm doing, I see an opportunity here that I can help out that guy who was similar to me in the past, if I can help other people like that out by talking about it, educating people and showing them that it's okay to suffer from something like this, but you can still live your life, which is what I'm all about. So there's an area of convergence between yourself and Connor here. Connor, you and I have talked about this a lot, about sort of the emotional and physical journey that you may have traveled to get to this point, but your willingness to also want to reach out and help those other people who you wanted to help them live ultimately a better life and understand the traumas and the difficulties and the challenges that are there, but be able to crash on through them, I suppose. Yeah, I think I've spoken about this in my book of I think each and every one of us, no matter who you are, um, no matter what you have in life, if you've got all of the money in the world or cars in the world or whatever, um, I think each of us at some point in time hits their wall. I talk about it, so you, you hit your wall, and some of us hit more walls than others, but it, You'll never get through life without having a real challenge. My, my, I, I, I've, I've talked about this a few times. I had a few problems, um, maybe up until I got my diagnosis of MS. But being diagnosed with MS was me for for me hitting my wall, and I had no clue how I was going to react to it. I was, I, it was very debilitating in terms of the physical and the mental uh, symptoms of that illness, um, and. From my work now, in terms of what I do day to day, I've been able to meet with hundreds of people across a wide spectrum of, of ranges. As you know, Paul, we're working together. And what I'm seeing out there is, you know, struggle and stress and anxiety amongst a wide group of people. Um, and certainly for me, in terms of my own rec- recovery and journey, and I, there's probably some similarities with, with Luke, that, you know, whenever, into around about 2011, you know, I, I was... I wanted to get back whenever I had to stop playing football and sport through my illness. You know, I didn't do anything for three or four years, and I think my depression, my 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 challenge at that time from a mental health perspective was, you know, what am I going to do for exercise? You know, that was really really bugging me. The fact that I couldn't run, exercise, walking was a problem, and you know how I would ultimately deal deal with that. So. Certainly one of the good things to come out of this, this coming together today is that we both recognise the uh, it's it could be referred to as a way of self-medicating through exercise and goals and, and triathlon and running or whatever you do to, to help your own mental health. I think there's similarities in, our, in both of our journeys because I know the feeling that I had whenever I finished my first marathon in 2011 was incredible. And then the journey that I've been on over the last four or five years resulting in maybe Ironman in New York last year has just been explosive mm. where the more t- the more you test yourself and ask yourself questions to get out of your comfort zone although it's hard at that time to, to, to complete the training programs to eat the right food but whenever you cross the finish line or whenever you achieve that goal that you set out to achieve be it in business relationships sport it's just so empowering yeah. and it normally it drives you on and that and that day uh, just uh, a guy called Ran Holiday, the book The Obstacle is the Way, Ran was on Michael's show as well. 
and it's the relativity of that for so for some people the obstacle could be something really small for some people who don't experience depression they would see that's not an obstacle at all sure i get over that all the time and for those people who are overwhelmed by darkness who black out completely for those people who can't walk because of a sore back and you're doing triathlon and ironman activities with ms there is that hope that the obstacle, once you are fully aware that the obstacle is actually the greatest challenge you have rather than the greatest obstacle, then there's a different picture. But one of, the, one of the messages to come out of today is that I chose to get into people like this chap here, space, because without, I, didn't, I don't have to talk to Luke every day or email him every night and speak to him all the time, because if I can watch him from afar and see this sort of stuff, knowing what he's been dealing with, that helps me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the whole point. And there's a, there's a saying at the minute goes, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. So it's something that I'd ask the audience tonight, what five people do you spend time with at the minute? Yeah. What do they do? Because that's who's going to influence you. So if I can spend time with yourself, if I can work with people like you, Paul, and the other people that, that you know that we're working with, well then, I know that ultimately I can only be better for being around people like that. And that's, we'll talk about And that was a massive yeah. thing for me yeah. to get out of my own state yeah. at that time in terms of my own recovery and I know and there's some of the people this guy's been on Rich Rhodes podcast he's been on Mike Gervais and you don't get on them sorts of podcasts unless you're doing incredible things in the field that you're at so I just know that it was just so good for me to be looking at Luke's journey yeah. and then trying to stay a wee bit so I'm not going to spoil I'm not going to there's no spoiler alerts here because I haven't seen the movie either right and I was very fortunate that Connor a few months ago look he says have a look at this here what do you think of that and he sent through a little trailer you know <laughs> and I was kind of looking at it with a sound down and I was going like that doesn't look wise you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> everyone says that it doesn't look wise so I, this is my disclosure because of his activity and because of another guy who's going to come along and see a night a good friend of ours Damien um, I've committed to doing a triathlon in uh, June next year and then another one in July and he's still halfing through the corner of my eyes <laughs> but I am because it's very inspiring to see what is possible but I want to talk now about the, the ultimate triathlon um, I need you to explain what the ultimate triathlon is because I had to write stuff down here just to get a full picture of it so um, go ahead describe this ultimate triathlon and what this movie is about and what this documentary is a showcase of so the ultimate triathlon is basically something that I created in my head about five years ago. So I've just retired from from football. I've I've signed up to one of the toughest foot races on on the planet, the Marathon de Sable, which I'm about to do in um, at the time. So that's a desert race in Morocco, yeah. Sahara Desert. Six six marathons in seven days, carrying everything in your backpack yeah. for the week. Yeah. So I just signed up for that. That was coming in about four months. And when was that, sir? In 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so the end of uh, 2011, I'd finished football. I'd spent like a month or two, you know, going through that. Right now, what I'm going to do. Can I just interrupt there? And, and Luke's not giving this the right credit, but whoever's listening to this, go on YouTube and type in Marathon de Sad and have a look at how. Unbelievable that challenge. Is this self-deprecation? That just has to stop him. <laughs> it has that to is, stop him. He, he raced through, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, go on and have a look at this thing. This is this is incredible. It's something that I'm going to say, but I just wanted to give a wee bit of, you know, illuminate that. Well, like, I, I've got a lot of content here yeah, for the, yeah, the yeah, ultimate yeah, triathlon. Yeah. So in case you decide to dodge yeah. the issue here, so we're going right, right, to... Right, so so keep going. So if, yeah, if you go on to, to YouTube and put in my name and go to my YouTube channel, I actually filmed my training, my lead up to all of this. 
and it's uh, there's a 25 minute clip of my marathon de Saab's journey and it was pretty hectic. So basically, I'd signed up, I was preparing for that and I said, I'm going to be an adventurer. I'm 28 years of age, what am I going to do now that football's over? And I said, I'm going to travel around the world, do these big challenges, write books, talk about them, all the rest of it. And I said to myself, well, if I'm going to be an adventurer and I'm going to turn this into a career, I need to do something big to put me on the map. Mm-hmm. And I went, right, how do I figure out what I'm going to do? I had no experience in any endurance sports or any adventuring or whatever. I knew how to kick a football around, but my body kept breaking down. So I looked at a world map, stared at it, and just went, give me something. And the only thing I thought about was, I'm an adventurer. I want to do something adventurous. And after about, I don't know, I think this, this time frame changes every time I think about it, but I'm going to say 10, 15 minutes, I saw the Strait of Gibraltar between Morocco and Spain. And I went... I wonder if I can swim that. Now, <laughs> in saying this, I don't, I'm Australian, but I don't have a swimming background. I grew up around the corner from a dairy farm, not on the coast. So I had no swimming background. I, I probably swam, the last length of a pool I swam was probably when I was seven or eight in school and made to do it at a swimming carnival. I hadn't got a cycling background. I owned a mountain bike as a kid growing up. That was about it. And I only just started running. So I thought, I wonder if I could swim between Africa and Spain, maybe. And I looked, oh, maybe if I cycled up the southeast coast of Spain, that would be a really cool way to see the, the countryside and, and see the, the med and all this sort of stuff. I went, oh, swim, cycle. Now what's it? Oh, Spanish-French border. Oh, what's the next country? Monaco. Oh, maybe I could run that. Yeah, that looks a little bit shorter than the cycle leg and the swim looks a little bit shorter. Oh, Morocco, Monaco. There's a triathlon in that, and that's quite literally how the ultimate triathlon first came about. And then I spent 12 months figuring out if it was possible. So yes, you can swim the Gibraltar Strait. There's a company that does that. Tick. No matter if I could swim it, but people have done it, mm-hmm. so it's doable. Cycle the southeast coast of a Spanish uh, um, border um, of the coastline. And it was about 1,300 kilometers, or the length of Britain. And I went, well, people cycle, John O'Groats to Land's End, so physically it's possible. And then I got to the run, and it was the equivalent of 14 marathons. And I went, oh, well, I'm doing seven in a week, or six in a week. Yeah, I can do 14. And then it was, how many days do I, am I going to do this? I don't want to do it in three weeks, because people go, well, a lot of people could do that. So I did some equations in my head, total guesswork. Asked some of my uh, triathlon friends in Australia who had just dabbled in Ironmans, and I said, "What about doing this thing in twelve days?" No, no, I can't be done. It's too, too short. No chance. And these are some of my best mates, and they're like, "We know you're crazy, but that no, I can't do it. Go away and come back with some figures." And I tried to tweak it, but the thing was, and I'm not going to lie, this is the exact reason why I stuck at twelve days, because two thousand kilometers in fourteen days, or two thousand kilometers in thirteen days doesn't roll off the tongue, in my opinion, as well as 2,000 kilometers in 12 days, and also the fact it was just shorter. So I went, no, I'm sticking with my original plan of 2,000 kilometers in 12 days from Morocco to Monaco. This is the ultimate triathlon, and that's how it came about. So I'm just going to jump in here to get rid of that self-deprecation shite that we would just listen to there, right? So this is what this really is. It's 2,000 kilometers in 12 days. 
swimming the equivalent of 400 laps of a 50 meter pool except it's across the streets of Gibraltar, right? So for some historical context, the streets of Gibraltar used to be called the Pillars of Hercules, right? Yeah. So, sure. so that gives you an indication of the mythology around that part of it. Um, forget about Britain. You're swimming. You're cycling this twice the length of Ireland, Malin head to Mizzen head, and then just go again. And then you're going to run fourteen marathons in seven days. Yeah. So the the format was that's crazy. Most people said, "Oh, you get a nice swim that first day and have a rest and cycle the next day." I'm like, "No, I can't do. I can't have. I can't not cycle on the same day as I swim to make it in twelve days. It's just not going to happen." So day one was a swim and a cycle. So I had literally an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes by the time I finished the swim, got on the bike and cycled another 100 k's. Four big days of, of cycling uh, over 200 miles, over 330 k's um, average for those four days and then a double marathon a day for seven days. That's the format of the ultimate triathlon. And once I put it in my mind that this is what I'm going to do, I... I how my mind works, it switches and it like the, the cogs turn and go, okay, that's your new normal. So that's yeah, it. Yeah. So if someone says to me, well, that's just ludicrous. You can't do that. You, you've never swam before. You've never cycled before. Remember, I don't have a background in these types of sports or endurance sports. But in my head, I just went, I think I can do it. I believe I can do it. That's my new normal. Right, go after it. What's the worst I can do? I fail. And to tell you what, in my football career, I failed that many times of not getting a contract, getting injured, or playing a bad game, or making a bad pass, or mistiming a header, if you want to go right down to small little failures that are still failures, that if I didn't swim across the Gibraltar Strait and I got rescued out by the boat, who cares? No one cares. But I just went, you know what? I want to go for it. Because what if I do it? What potentially will that happen? What ramifications will that happen in my life and in other people's lives? So that's the format. That's what happened. And um, yeah, I, did, I finished last year. The, just the, the, on the, the swim, the swim is through the busiest, it's like the equivalent of, of flying in around Heathrow at lunchtime. It's the busiest shipping lane in the world. Did you swim that in a one-er? You did the, the jib in a one-er. You did that in one go. You swam that in one go? Yeah. No, I've seen it. I still can't get over it. <laughs> That's unreal, man. It's in a straight line. It's, Fourteen kilometers. Is it? In a straight line, it's ten miles. Yeah. So 16, 16 miles. But open water swimming, you don't swim in a straight line because yeah. it's the busiest, one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world, <laughs> which I can vouch for. Yeah. We we were coming over here over at the docks. Oh, I can't lift my arm up. I had surgery six weeks ago. Anyway, moving on. Um, I uh, and that's a whole other story. But coming over here in the docks, we saw the big shipping containers, yeah. and I, and I and I said to Connor, I said this reminds me of the of the swimming across the Gibraltar Strait because it's known as this all this wildlife, all this marine life, turtles, dolphins, and whales. And I saw nothing. I was so bored that when I because all these tankers around me, I would focus on these tankers every every breath, and I would try and count these shipping containers that were on top of these tankers. And it was like, you know, one, two, you know, three, four, with every breath. And at times I'm thinking, oh, there's like 20 across and 10 up. Now, the big shipping containers that you have at the docks and stuff like that, they're massive. And imagine if there's like 20 across and 10 high. Like, that's a massive big tanker. And there's all these around me. And that's what it was like going across for, it took me just over five hours. And I ended up covering 24 kilometers. 
because because of the variant of the currents yes. and everything else. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay. So, um, Connor, I just want to ask you a question. Is to kind of sort of same uh, weave this together. You and I had spoken about. I think it was the Mallorca Ironman that you did, and you were busted and you were feeling the pain and cycling and you couldn't cycle anymore and you were crying with the pain and you just didn't know how how you were going to finish this and you thought of your two children and you thought. Their looks in their eyes, that unconditional love going over the line drove you on for, for you to complete that? Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds very um, dramatic and, and, you know, idyllic, that, the way you presented that. But, you know, with the way my Ironman race worked out, I didn't plan it the way it actually worked out, but it worked out great because 70 mile, and I don't think of total like about this, but 70 mile into the race, we had to be at a certain part of the of of the the cycle by three o'clock, or else you were disqualified. But I didn't know this because at the race briefing the day before, I was too busy looking around me and going, yeah, "I'm an Ironman. This is unbelievable. You know, this is no problem." I wasn't really taking in what Paul Kay was saying, so I got there at three eleven, at this junction, and I was surrounded by people crying, and I was saying, "What's what's your problem?" And this guy here, he got there at three o one, and the girl who was part of the race said no we're all disqualified and anyway I talk about it in the book it's coming out now but um, I don't know but I, I get something into my head and said right fuck this um, I'm going to I'm gonna crack on because I, I had worked out that you have an 8 hour cut off in the cycle it's international Ironman rules and I felt that I could get to the finish line before the 8 hour cut off despite what I was told so I was told you're disqualified so anyway I bolted on and there was nobody else behind me, so for the next hour and a half, I was I was in utter agony, um, and all sorts of thoughts were going through my head. But it, it was amazing how it all worked out. But yeah, one one of the driving forces for me was I, I just couldn't stop because I had my whole family sitting at the finish line, I had my two children there. I, I couldn't rock in there that night and you know not finish the Ironman. So yeah, that that was one of the ways that I was able to activate my mind. I. To keep going but I think you touched on something previously there with Luke and it's it's one of the amazing things of being around people with a very positive mindset and I was I'm getting feelings again that I got whenever I met you in London you know Luke talks about the ultimate triathlon and swimming 14k and then five hours in the water and then you get onto your bike and then it's and he talks about it, it's very matter of fact and as ordinary people like me and you Paul you know it's it's so uh, empowering to hear that and, and we can only all we the only impact you get of that, and you're maybe not as aware of this as, as we are, is it just fires your belly because you're going, How powerful is that oh, unreal. mindset? Yeah, yeah, unreal. That mindset yeah. and you're sitting yeah. now going, Well, I'm gonna do my first triathlon next year and there's no doubt that you'll be far better and stronger willed and minded from this podcast okay. by listening to someone who wasn't hadn't a background in, in, in triathlon. Who's come up with this idea to do this mental challenge? Does it sitting here talking about it as if it's a ten k? So that's why I, I threw it into you because it's, it's the full circle here. And I came, Connor and I talk about this a lot. And he talks about you know what's next and what's next. And you are very very almost dismissive of this uh, conquest. I mean, in a very very nice way, in a very charming way. This really really modest way of describing it. I'm massively looking forward to seeing the movie this evening. Um, which whoever's listening to this won't have seen because this will probably go live tomorrow. Um, it's in Belfast and Mac. How many many sites have you taken this to across the UK? Many centres? I've had three already. And then I've got one tonight. And then I've got three more. 
before it goes over the pond to LA. Okay. And then there's uh, goes further down the road to Australia as well. So, so, so we're in the middle of the right slap bang in the middle of the European tour, if you like. And it's a massive privilege to have you in Belfast because Connor has told me all about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm into, I love the whole idea of the fixed and growth mindset and grit and determination. I read a lot of it and I probably need to practice more of it. But when you sit and talk about what you're talking about, and then I would hear Connor talking about his achievements and other people who I know go there tonight. Um, a cousin, a good friend of mine's coming tonight. He's already done one of the seven summits, for example, which is one of the Russian mountains. Mm-hmm. He has done the Tour de France, two legs of the Tour de France twice, and he just wants to continually push and continually push. Um, and I'm, I, the reason I mentioned the story, Connor, about your the two children inspiring you and pushing you on, but is there something that, that, that pushes you on that, that you can identify for this? Because there must have been times in the swim even you thought, oh, what have I done? And then it probably gets harder for you whenever you're through um, the cycle because you've got, uh, you know, fuck, what have I done? I've still got a run to do. And then fucking two marathons done here. And what pushes you on? So my, my driving forces have evolved over the five years from the concept of the ultimate triathlon to standing on the edge of the harbour at Trefa, um before I was about to begin all this. And back then, when, it, when I first came up, when I said I'm going to do it, I was running away from life. You know, I was running away from the decisions to what am I going to do with the rest of my life. So realistically to get me through the actual 12 days what my driving force was is what I've evolved to as a person and the reasons why I stood at the start line of the ultimate trash run which was to um, personally uh, see what I'm capable of physically and mentally because and what I'm going to say now is I've said it numerous times and it's out there in the public domain and I stand by it I don't feel like there's anyone else in the world that is more mentally tougher than I am. Now, I'm not saying I'm the most mentally toughest person in the world. I'm just saying I don't think there's anyone else more mentally tough than I am. And I've believed that through my entire life. It's something that I've been, that's been installed into me from my family is that if you want to achieve something, go out and get it and don't let anything stop in the way. And that was achieved, that was ingrained by my parents. And when I was a footballer, I was always mentally strong the last five minutes you're winning one nil in a, in a championship game you know and everyone's running around like crazy and I'm being calm do the simple things do this so I was mentally focused and I was able to be aware be mindful staying present and I think that's one thing that I've been able to move on with so I wanted to challenge myself mentally and also physically I want to, I've done all these other crazy challenges you know like the marathon de Sables. I'd spent six weeks living in the mountains in Nepal before I did the world's highest ultra marathon running down Mount Everest I wanted to learn how to surf so I cycled 412 kilometers it took me 18 hours from London down to Newquay to get up the next day and learn how to surf then ultra marathons all these all these things a double Ironman triathlon is my first ever and only official triathlon 35 hours of fun uh, which is what I call it so I've done all these stuff so I wanted to really test myself physically and also to put myself on the map as an adventurer but that was just a little selfish side of things that was personally what I why I was doing it but that when I was deep in the trenches when on at the end of day three when I was really struggling before I sort of lost coherency uh, and really know where I was, which you've seen the film tonight, 
what kept me going was the fact that the real reason I do what I do as an endurance adventurer, a motivational speaker, a real food cook, health and wellness coach is to inspire others to live their lives every single day and get out of their comfort zones. And I do this by showing that people that it's okay to be vulnerable, that it's okay to get out of your comfort zones, get out of to doing what you'd be doing every single day. And if you want to achieve a goal, no matter how big it is or how small it is, then all you have to do is take that first step. And if I can show people by doing these extreme challenges and how far I've got out of my comfort zone and gone after it, if I can inspire someone to take an art class that they've always wanted to take, try a different food, maybe open that business that they've always been thinking about, or sign up to that first 10K. Go from half marathon to a full marathon. Go from a, a half Ironman to an Ironman. Whether you're fit and able, whether you, you know, you've got one leg or whether you've got some other illness or, or whatever. If I can inspire people to get out of their comfort zones and dream big and go after what they want to do and live their life every single day as much as possible, then that's what fuels me when I'm struggling uh, in the ultimate triathlon and I've got another 10 marathons to go to run and my leg, one leg doesn't work and whatever. But So just to, to keep that theme going there, we, we, before we, we went on the air, I asked you guys to do a grit test. It's um, something included within Angela Duckworth's um, grit, the power, um, I can't remember the name of the book, the book's over there, but um, there's a quote from the book that is just so appropriate and I'd written it down because it kind of uh, comes back into the theme of sprinting and running. It says, grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is sticking with your future day in, day out. Not for a week, not just for a month, but for years. And really working hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Or an ultramarathon. <laughs> or, or, or the ultimate triathlon. There you go. Um, and where, where do you think this comes from? And where do you think the determination comes from? Is it, is it something genetic? Do you think that you have your parents provided you some good foundation for this? To look at my parents and even my grandparents, then they, they showed a lot of grit and determination in their lives to get to where they were. Um, so for me to say there's no genetic connection there, I, don't, I can't say that. Based on first-hand experience, it, I can see my parents, both of them in very different ways, showed grit throughout their entire life especially my mum, to put up with my dad to start with. But <laughs> that's a whole other story. And then my, then my grandparents on both sides. So I think me personally, just from that my own personal experience, I think there is some sort of genetic link there. But also it's, it comes down to habits, it comes down to education, it comes down to the community and the surroundings that you have grown up in. And what I think the people who you're surrounded with um, as, a, as a young child and, and the environment that you're in can definitely um, help grow and help, uh, help you to be like show grits and, and use grit yeah. as, an, as an advantage rather than you know, it's time to roll up the sleeves and someone goes, oh, that looks really hard. I'm not going to do it because I know I'm going to be in pain or I'm going, I'm going to be in discomfort for a long period of time. Whereas I will go this is an opportunity for yeah. me to grow. Yeah. I know I'm going to get so much out of this. It's going to hurt, but 
what about at the other end? What what the possibilities are, I don't know, but they could be endless and this could be really cool and a good educational tool for me to do. So I'm going to roll my sleeves up and get it done. And that's what Carl Dweck talks about in her growth mindset. She talks about the attitude of people who see this obstacle and they go, God, I can't wait to get stuck into that because I know what happens on the other side is greater than the feeling that I have now. Something that you're both into as well um, is that whole wellness thing and you're a plant-based athlete. Connor, you're a big advocate of plant-based lifestyle. Yeah, but only really, probably, um, so I gave up dairy about two years ago, dairy products, and then I, I, I gave up meat probably around Christmas time, and I was able to be strong enough to stop my medication, so I've been injecting for the last nine years, so I've stopped that in April, but I definitely would credit, look, whenever we've met in London about 18 months ago, so I'm always trying to work out, I'm always trying to become, it's not cliche, a better version of me, that's really where I'm at now over the last two years, how can I be 5 or 10% stronger? more productive, more energetic, and certainly with my life, as you know, is, is, is pretty full on, Paul. I need to be strong, energetic, I need mental, mental clarity at all times. And whenever I started sort of drilling into what Luke was doing and stuff, because I knew what he was up to and his goals and you know, a little bit about his background and stuff, but he the, the real food thing really caught me and I started looking into it. And the more I drilled, the more information I was to get getting, and then the more it made sense, you know, you feel with real food, you know, and and by going vegan then in round about probably March of this year over the last six months, it's it's just I suppose it's made such a difference in a positive way to to me and myself in terms of my energy levels, my output, my sort of even philosophy and life and stuff. So and that's really a personal journey. I don't think that's a journey that you can encourage people to take. I think they have to find that themselves. But for me, certainly Luke played a role in that. Uh, in terms of I've watched his videos online, his YouTube stuff, him, him cooking, and I, I actually like cooking as well. And certainly he, he's been one of the sources of inspirations in terms of me trying to work out, you know, how can I feel better? And one of the things I'm really enjoying, as you know, in the last six months is, you know, for the first time in my life, I've worked out what I think is good for my body and what's not good for my body. So Luke certainly has played a bit of a part in that, even though he doesn't know that. But one of the most interesting journeys I'm on at the minute is actually encouraging and teaching my young children how to eat and fuel and it's fantastic we don't have any meat or dairy in our house and it's it's just brought a whole new sort of space to me in terms of the like where I have to get to on this food journey mm -hmm. and I have an awful lot to learn but the little that I know already I think has benefited me massively in the last six months in terms of my own food journey and that's something I'm going to build upon. You, you've mentioned um, on your uh, social media stuff, Luke, and, and you mentioned it there about mindfulness and about being present. About two weeks ago, the head of the Belfast Zen Centre, a guy called Frank Liddy, sat there. I've done some mindfulness uh, training with him. Still struggle with it, to do it every day, and it's all about practice and that. But um, it seems that society is all of a sudden starting to reveal or peel back these layers of stuff that have been with us for centuries that we kind of realise are beneficial, more beneficial today than perhaps they were back in um, the times of the Stoics and all, all that sort of stuff. Are you practitioner, you practice mindfulness a lot then, I guess? Not as much as I would like. You know, I'm human as well. And I, I do so many variations of, I guess, what you call mindfulness that works for me. Because for me, being mindful is being able to be in the present moment and also being mindful of what you have in your life. Uh, and also what you don't have, you know, and uh, and not yearn for that. So, I you know I do many different things. I, I use different apps. 
you know, Headspace, Headspace. Headspace yeah. is a good app. Um, but do I do it every day? No. Some weeks I won't even do it once. But I like to think that um, most days I'll stop for some period of time and, you know, to put a label on it, practice mindfulness where I am present. I am thinking, or I might, I might even just think about an emotion. See, my practice is very varied. I could go for a walk and just go, right, I live across the road from a park, a small park in London. My, I've, I've got 20 minutes. I want to go for a walk. And I'll go over, and as soon as I walk in the park, it's like, you're in the park. What's in the park? And I might just look at the grass and go, the grass, like it, it looks, looks quite green today, you know. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm connected. Yeah. I'm present. I'm yeah. now thinking about the grass. And then maybe a plane, I live near, not far from Heathrow, a plane will go over. And I'll be like, oh, wow, I can hear the plane. And wow, like, yeah, like what else is it? Oh, the trees. And, and I just walk aimlessly. And then most of the time, I'll, I'll come to somewhere after a period of time and go, oh, okay, I'll go back now. Or as I touched on just a second ago, I'll think about an emotion. Like gratitude is an amazing one to think about. And I'll think about what, what am I grateful for? And I think there's so much in my life that I'm so grateful for. And I think about this. And I could spend 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes on it. And I feel that's, a, that's part of a, a mindfulness practice where if I'm thinking about an emotion and just being present and really delving into my life based on that one emotion, I feel that's very productive for me as well. And then I can go through the whole headspace um, you know, journey with the apps and really get something big out of that as well. So I, and then other times I'll just lay on my back and close my eyes and listen to my breath and let my chest come up and down and pay attention to that. Um, so there's lots of different facets to, to what my mindfulness practice uh, entails. But I, I, will, I will add this, that people say, well, how long have you been doing it? And for how long is your session? And quite literally, when I was training for the Ultimate Triathlon, my, my day was very stacked. So I know this sounds you know, like we've always got time, but sometimes getting up 10 minutes earlier than I was planned to meditate, to practice mindfulness, I had to go, well, 10 minutes of sleep for me was big. So I'm going to get up a minute earlier so I'll get extra nine minutes sleep. And people go, well, what's nine minutes? When you're training 25 to 30 hours and then doing 30 to 35 hours of office work, so to speak, promoting the ultimate draft on getting funding, an extra nine minutes of sleep is huge. So I would practice three breaths, just... Big deep breaths and blow it all out and be really conscious and be really present for those three breaths. And that was my mindfulness practice for the day. But where it all started and where I can look back where my journey began was I was a 15-year-old kid. I, was, uh, I got picked for this uh, representative team uh, for football. And we're laying down after a training session with 20 kids in, 20 kids in this squad, laying down, eyes closed, and there's this woman uh, telling us to breathe deeply and just focus on our toes, clench your toes, squeeze your toes, squeeze your feet, curl them up, and just relax. And then she would go through all the muscles in the body. 15-year-old kids laying on their backs in this dark room. You can imagine what's going on. There's people kicking each other and slapping each other in the face because their eyes are closed. But I got into it. I was so focused on what I was doing. And people were like trying to annoy me. And I was like, leave me alone. I got so into it. And that's a practice I've been using throughout my entire life. And that's when I started, not knowingly, as a 15-year-old. And now as a 33-year-old, I've been doing it consistently. Uh, not as much as I would like, but since then. Um, what was the typical week like, again, when you were training for the Ultimate Triathlon? What was the typical week like with your 
diet and your head focus and your training and your so, physical side of it? So most weeks were 25 to 30 hours of swimming, cycling, running, uh, one to two, mainly one hour of yoga a week and some strength training stuff, so one to two hours in there. Um, to give you a rough outline, it's very difficult because it evolved yeah. as we went along. So my head was, no one had ever done anything like this before. The format, nothing. The distance in that format, nothing. So people compare it to a Decker Ironman, which is 10 consecutive yeah, yeah. Ironman yeah. triathlons in 10 days. On paper, the distances, very similar. But as an event <coughs> and in a format, completely different. Was that what Rich Roll did in Murray? And no, he did Hawaii? six Six Ironman in, in in six days in, okay. in, in Hawaii. So, no, it's 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 different, totally different. It's unreal, yeah. So the format that I did mining is is very very different because I'm doing a twenty five twenty four kilometer swim, mm. and every day you're doing a three point eight kilometer swim. So the the training for that's very different. I'm not yeah. swimming in the ocean, and in Deccan I'm in they're swimming in a pool or a lake or something like that. I'm cycling two hundred to two hundred and thirty miles. I think my biggest down the ultimate triathlon was in a day, for consecutive days. So my body is moving in the same way for 18 hours a day, 16 hours a day, 15 hours a day. So I'm not getting any reprieve by the body moving different variations. So it's very, very different format. So to train for this, I had to come up with this idea that I need to cycle for long distances consecutively and I need to run long distances consecutively. So my training could be focused for this week, I'm going to do more biking. Next week, I'm going to do more running. But in terms of hours-wise, it was very much 25 to 30 hours. Wow. I, I, th I, think, I think there's a lot of good messages coming out of this sort of conversation. But one of the messages that I think is really strong is that, you know, you've asked some questions, Paul, about, you know, what, what drives you and why are you doing this and stuff. So, so he's told you that he's doing it to try and empower and inspire people. And whether he likes it or not, that's what he's doing. Whether I like it or not, that's what he's doing. And that's, that was one of the driving forces for my recovery, which helped my recovery. Because I knew I was starting to encourage people to start walking again, being more open-minded. Stuff that you're doing, Paul, is, is it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be cycling a thousand miles. You're doing pretty inspiring stuff as well. And the whole point of this is why are we all doing all of this? You know, And I think the nice thing about this conversation is that we are generally doing this sort of stuff to try and help others. Yeah. As Luke said, 10 months ago, lock in. Yeah. So I thought that was fascinating because I personally think everybody's capable of locking in, right? Because once you lock in, then you go and you do stuff. And that could be walking 100 yards up the road without a stick. It could be knitting a jumper. You know, I've talked about this a lot. It could be doing a, a triathlon. Who cares? The point is, how do you get to that lock-in state? Because really all you're talking about then is a mindset. No, that's exactly right, yeah. And, and, yeah. and you're talking yeah. about how, how, how can you improve your mindset to yeah. go after that business, to go after that girl, to go after that goal. Because ultimately, all, all that training is just the process. It's, you're that, fixing the like, process. You bang, 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 you, bang, bang. Sometimes bang. We, we, you have to train 30 hours a week. And then you, and then, but that, what I think is, is, is helpful is you keep saying, and you keep talking about, but why is he doing this? Why are you doing this? So you're doing it for your own health, first and foremost. You need to be healthy and strong and continue on with your message and stuff. If you're not healthy, you can't do any of this stuff. And then it's very inspiring in terms of other people like, like me. I go, flipping hell, this is amazing. Now how can I do this? Yeah. I just think that that's a very powerful thing to come out of one of the things coming out of this podcast is that the stuff that looks looks not doing the ultimate triathlon for him. I've got the norm. He's really down to earth, very unassuming, good lad, no problem. He's doing it to actually help people. It's I I just think that's really, really powerful. 
And and I, I kind of see that now when you said, because whenever I, I looked at it in its totality, I thought like, Jesus Christ, that's lethal, you know, and I, you, everybody will see it for different things, but there is a very consistent message it's there. So without it, without it, without it. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, not it is, glamorous. Yeah. And I've done a little bit of endurance. It's not glamorous at all. Yeah. And fucking see yeah. more than half an hour, right? To be in that stretch of water for five hours, it ain't glamorous. It's not glamorous 150 mile into a segal in the roaring heat. It's not glamorous running one marathon, never mind two back to back for five or six days. There's none of this stuff's glamorous, right? But you know what? It's all about hard work. No matter what you work, where, where you want to get to in life, you have to work hard. And what Luke's been able to demonstrate, hopefully what some of the stuff I've been able to demonstrate, what you've been able to demonstrate by now running your own podcast show is if you work hard, you get your rewards. And then you can start influencing people to be productive themselves. And I, I think that's amazing. It is, man. It is, and and I, I I get that. Like, there's no there's no question. You can't disguise that. The 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 power is un, is unreal from it. And and uh, I'm really looking forward to tonight to see the show. I'm looking forward actually to see the response of different people in the audience looking at it tonight because I've had a snapshot in it. Some of them have had less of a snapshot, but we're expecting about a hundred odd people to come to a very yeah. Weird... Look, this I I I I knew that I was just waiting for the film to come out, and I I just wasn't prepared to not. To, get them to Belfast and you've helped me with organise this like we just reached out to some people we had 120 people in the room in the flash you know we're not an events organising company um, there's just a real appetite to to see this sort of mindset to see the film and um, no we're going to have a full house tonight we're going to have really good Q&A the chaps from 33 Shaker here as well Warren and Eric I've just met them really Nice. And what so thirty three Shaker are your sponsors in in this journey? Yeah, so they're my um, first and foremost very good friends. Okay, um, but I got introduced to Warren, one of the the co founders of the company, um, several years ago by a mutual friend, and I tried out some of their products for about twelve months, and um, the ultimate Trapping was coming up, and they said, uh, yeah, let's do some work together and. Um, yeah, they have two products, uh, 33 Shake, which is 33 superfood ingredients in a little sachet. Um, looks like a bag of dirt, but tastes really good. And uh, it's nutrient-dense, so it's good stuff. And then a chia energy gel, which is four ingredients um, based around chia seeds. And it's all dry. So the best thing about them is they've got an expiry date for like a couple of months. Um, that's a good thing because it's real food. And I, uh, yeah, so I use, in terms of nutrition products, only their stuff. That's all I use, and the rest of the stuff is real food. So that's my diet, real food. Um, I'm not totally plant-based. I do eat uh, some some meat, um, and I do eat. Uh, I don't really eat any dairy, very rarely. But um, I listen to my body. You know, like I could go, I could eat vegan for like a month, and it wouldn't bother me. Um, but then I just feel like, oh, I'd really like a, a nice steak. And one of the reasons why I ate a lot less meat, and especially being in London, is to get good quality stuff from a local butcher, from a small farm, things like mm-hmm. that. It costs very expensive. But also, I didn't need it. I didn't have any urge. But maybe once a month or every six weeks, like, oh, I really feel like you know this or that, whatever. Uh, and I have a piece of meat, and I'm fine with that. I mm-hmm. don't eat it all the time. But I just like vegetables. You know, I like plants. As simple as that. So I fuel primarily on that, and I eat quite a lot of high fat foods. Um, and uh, yeah, if avocados cease to exist, I, I think I would cry until they came back because I eat so many avocados it's not funny but yeah so I, I work with 33 Shake I'm one of their ambassadors uh, alongside Chrissy Wellington who 
Um, if you don't know her, um, look her up. She's a phenomenal, was a phenomenal athlete and won the Ironman uh, championships in Kona multiple times. Um, and uh, she's a proper lady, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I so I've read her book. Yeah, so her and I are the two ambassadors uh, for 33 Shake and that's the only sports nutrition product that I'll use and basically I make my own energy products and just eat real food as I train and do these different challenges. Good man. Um, just, just for people listening, um, the website is 33shake.com and um, it's got a lot of uh, information on their products and about themselves, about Christy Wellington, um, MBE, and a few other things. So uh, definitely worth checking out. I think I've been involved in sports marketing myself. I think there's no point in organizations uh, supporting athletes or uh, adventurers like um, Luke or Connor if you don't give them support in return. So I would ask every one of you to get onto the website and buy one of the products and see what the crack is yourselves. Because um, if I think you're listening this long and that we're now just under 55 minutes, you're interested in the content of what these guys have been up to, um, which has been a really, really interesting chat. Um, guys, I'm going to probably bring it to a close now, just unconscious of time. We're sat here. It's about half past two on um, Tuesday the 27th, and we're going to go to the MAC, um, which is the Metropolitan Arts Centre in Belfast, later on tonight. And we're going to sit down and we're going to get 90 minutes entertainment in this documentary question and answer session, which I think you might have answered a load of questions here already, which is deadly. And uh, I feel in really, really a, a gilded company with Rich Roll and Michael Gervais having done a podcast with this man. So um, I can't believe the second and third best podcasters are right up there alongside me, which is great. So. Um, I'm going to look. I'm going to say thank you very much, man. Because a real pleasure to meet you. I'm I'm really really looking forward to this show tonight. What are your contact details? So again, people who are listening can go to your social media stuff. Where do you want to direct them to? Yeah, if you go to my initial website, LukeTaberski.com, um, everything's housed through there. Or if you want to check out the Ultimate Triathlon, you can go to theultimatetriathlon.co, and uh, there's all the information about that. Um, yeah, if you want to check out the film, if you can't make a screening, uh, you can go to my website or The Ultimate Triathlon and you can you can buy that online now or there's still a few more screenings around uh, the world and the UK and LA so you can go and check that out. And um, yeah, and get in touch. Social media is all Luke Taberski. I, I do all my own social media so if anyone wants to ask me a question, just get in touch and um, say hi and spread the love. Yeah, all right, man. So that's um, just for those people um, like myself who have a name like Mac and Allen, and it's spelled a thousand different ways. Luke is L U K T Y B U R S K I dot com. Um, Connor uh, Connor Divine dot com. Yeah. Uh, Connor underscore Divine. Yep. Um, for Twitter, uh, I'm on Shift Control sixty six and Shift hyphen Control dot co dot uk. This has been arguably one of the more exciting uh, podcast from my perspective. I hope you get the same buzz, energy, drive, and zest for the activities that these guys pursue because it's just fucking deadly. That's the way I leave it. So thanks very much for your time and we'll catch up again real soon. Bye.